Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, really grateful to for Zach's leadership and mentorship um, to those of us who are um, in the elder training program, and uh, just that the as a church, there's uh, an attitude of um, equipping and uh, and mentoring those uh, of us to uh, practice the different uh, different gifts that we that we might have, and, and I'm grateful for that uh, for this opportunity this morning, and grateful to be with you. Uh, before we get started, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for the timeliness of your word. You know what we need before we need it. You know what's going on in our lives and you can meet that. You have, you have the knowledge of, of what we need to hear. As we get into the word this morning and, and we are studying Joseph who is um, in, a, who's in a, a really dark place, I think of the, the, the things that might be going on or are going on in the lives of the families in our church, um, grief, loss of loved ones, uh, the potential loss of of property and, and family disputes and um, all the things that that might have us down or hurting in this time. And you knew that our, our church family was gonna be facing this and you gave us a word about your sovereignty and how we can trust you. Um, you put this on the schedule long ago. I'm so grateful for that, for your sovereignty in that. Lord, today I just pray that um, my words would be your words, that you would speak through any, um, any type of, of nervousness or, or um, human desire to, to do well, and that what you would do is communicate clearly what you need to communicate to your, your uh, flock today. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name, amen. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble for something that you didn't do? Anyone? Okay, probably most of us, right? Um, this is kind of where we see Joseph uh, finally, finally saying to um, someone, hey, like, I, don't, I shouldn't be here right now. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And maybe think of a time... Um, when I was in third grade, we're gonna go back a ways. Um, I, I was little Jake back then. Uh, third grade at Ford's Prairie Elementary in Centralia, Washington. And uh, we had a substitute teacher that day. And she was not your normal substitute teacher. You know, like a lot of times you have a sub, a sub in a class and it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're like, the kids are gonna rule the classroom today. It was not that way with this, with this woman. She was running a tight ship and we were to sit and be quiet and do our worksheet and not make any, any disruptions. And so um, I'm a rule follower. Uh, I was trying to do that, but I had the, uh, the unfortunate pleasure of sitting behind this kid named Randon. That's right, like Brandon without the B, Randon. 
And Randon was, was kind of like the, the class bully, but not like the mean way. He was just that kid that was just annoying and he just kind of like poked and poked and poked and poked until he would uh, draw out some type of reaction from you. And so this, so this kid, Randon, is sitting right in front of me and we have strict instructions, do your worksheet, be quiet, make no disruptions. And Randon decides he's gonna just tilt his head back and lay it on my desk right on top of my worksheet. I kind of like, you know, poke him like, hey, knock it off. And, and he keeps doing it over and over again until finally I'm like, hey, knock it off. And the teacher looks at me and goes, hey, be quiet. And so I'm trying to protest, you know, like make my case like, hey, it's not my fault. And, and, and the teacher's like, I don't want to hear it. And so just be quiet. I'm like, okay, man, that's, that's frustrating. So trying to get back to work and Randon starts doing it again. And finally, I, 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 I tell him to knock it off again, and the teacher's like, that's it. Your um, but detention was like, you're standing on the wall during recess. And so I got in trouble, and I had to spend the next two days during our lunchtime recess standing on the brick wall in the playground, watching all of the other kids play. And as, the, as a third grader, I was filled with this deep sense of injustice that had been done against me, right? Like, this is wrong. And I I wasn't heard, and I think that we can see a little bit of this starting to come out in Joseph um, this week when he's uh, when he's talking with uh, with the the cupbearer. But um, really, this chapter is uh, this this piece of scripture is um, it's about the sovereignty of God, knowing what we need when we need it and the various ways that we can trust God to meet us when we're in the midst of hard times. And we see some, we see some recurring themes that are happening um, kind of over and over again in, this, in the passage this week. Uh, uh, some of the themes are uh, dreams. Uh, Joseph has dreams early on, and he tells his brothers and his, and his parents about them. Joseph is now interpreting dreams, and uh, spoiler alert, in next week we'll see that, that he's going to interpret some more dreams, or, or rather he's, God's going to interpret them, but dreams are a recurring theme in, in this story, and that Joseph is uh, in a place where he really doesn't deserve to be. Uh, Joseph was uh, thrown in a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery at, at Potiphar's house, now thrown into prison. And so he's been betrayed and owned and, and then thrown into prison. And, and he doesn't really deserve any of this. There's these recurring themes. And another theme is that Joseph finds himself in a position of favor. Again, uh, we're, uh, we're going to borrow a little bit from chapter 39, which Zach talked about last week, but it, it says that he's in a position of favor. He, the Lord shows favor on him and puts him in a position of authority again. And that's a demonstration of um, Joseph's character and his work ethic and his talent. Um, and so there's these recurring themes. There's another theme that uh, we see actually that will repeat itself in, in the New Testament. There's a, a parallel that could be drawn from Joseph to Jesus as Joseph is saying, hey, I didn't do anything wrong, yet here I am. We see that to, with Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. 
Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and he said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things that you accuse him of. So we can see a little bit of foreshadowing to, the, to where Jesus was. So Joseph is stuck in a place that he doesn't want to be or deserve to be, but he continues to be faithful to the Lord, turning to him and trusting in him, even though things have gone poorly for so long. In this passage, I, I want to talk about three ways today that we can trust God in our lives because of his sovereignty, three things that we can see that we can trust God with. The first one is this, that we can trust that God is kind to us in his sovereignty. I want to back up just a little bit to uh, Genesis chapter 39, verses 21 through 23. There's um, what Zach talked about last week. There's a lot of debate in the commentaries about whether these verses actually belong in chapter 39 or chapter 40. Um, and I think that what's really important is that they serve as a great transition from where, the, where Joseph is in Potiphar's house into this uh, time when he's in prison. And it says this, Genesis 39, chapter verse 21 through 23, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and he extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Now, when reading this, I, th I think it's easy sometimes to forget that Joseph was in fact in a bad place. And I kind of set that up, but, but sometimes when you're reading this narrative, it just, it moves so quickly to, and then Joseph, and then the Lord showed kindness and the Lord showed favor and, and the Lord promoted Joseph. And it's really easy for us to forget in this narrative that Joseph is in a really lousy place right now. He's not in a good spot in his life where things are just, it, you can kind of read this and go like, oh yeah, well, Joseph was in prison, but, and then the next thing is he's in charge and he's in authority and he has the leadership. But the, the, the reality is that Joseph um, was in a bad, he was in a really bad spot and we don't really know how long Joseph was in prison until he got to this place of authority, right? We know that um, from the time Joseph got to Potiphar's house to the time that he was called to Pharaoh to um, interpret Pharaoh's dreams next week uh, was 13 years. And we know it was two years from the end of this chapter to when he's called to Pharaoh. So for 11 years, Joseph is in either Potiphar's house in slavery or in prison. And so he very well could have been in prison for years before he finds himself in a place of authority. So I think it's important that we don't just kind of skip to the good part. Like, oh yeah, he went to prison and now he's in charge. Um, he, he really was, uh, was suffering in this time. He's in a place of despair and abandonment. And I can only imagine that he's still thinking about the, the betrayal of his brothers and, and, the, um, and the betrayal of, of Potiphar's wife, accusing him of a sin that he did not commit and being, being held accountable for that. And prison's not a pleasant place to be, even if you're the one in charge of the inmate. 
Joseph's still an inmate. But we see that in the midst of Joseph's despair, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Extended kindness to him. And God didn't have to do that. But in his sovereignty, he does things that are good for us. And he shows us kindness. I think of um, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 30. We're gonna skip a little part in the middle there, but Jesus is talking to his disciples about worry and anxiety. And they're, they're worried about, you know, how are we gonna be provided for? Where's our provision gonna come from? And Jesus says to them, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, how much more will he do for you? These creatures and, and plants and wildlife, they, they don't even know that they should be worried. They don't even know that they should be worried about where their next meal is coming from or what they're dressed in or look like. And the Lord is providing for them. And God in his kindness makes provision for Joseph as well. He puts him into a place of authority. And I want to kind of uh, call back to Zach's message last week where um, Joseph wasn't just... Um, being handed these things, he was, it was a statement of his character and his work ethic and his talent that he was, uh, the Egyptians weren't just in the business of handing out authority to Hebrew slaves. Joseph had clearly demonstrated that he was worthy of this and the Lord was showing kindness to him to put him in that spot. And how does Joseph respond to that? Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And, and I, I think what that, what that means is that when God's kindness is intended to elicit some type of response from us. And Joseph responds by showing kindness to others. I think a good response for us to God's kindness is to show that to others because God is kind to us, we can be kind to other people. When it says in, in verses six and seven, when Joseph came to them in the morning, uh, that's the cupbearer and the baker, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? So we see in the midst of despair, Joseph is, res and Joseph is responding with compassion for other people. And he's taking the time to notice how, like, what's going on? Like, why the long face? Why do you look, why do you look like, you know, um, why do you look so sad and distraught is the word scripture uses. He shows kindness to them and he notices. And, and what Joseph does is he takes this opportunity to minister to other people in his darkest time because these other prisoners, Pharaoh's officers, they were, they were distraught because they, they had these dreams and they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know what it meant and what's gonna happen. And, and they're looking for someone to help them. And they're, they think they're looking for um, a dream interpreter or someone that can tell them what's going on. And we're gonna get to that in, in a little bit. It, but what Joseph does is he steps in and, and, and sees distraught people and he first says, hey, what's going on? How can I help? And then he uses that as an opportunity to point them to 
the one being that can help them. And he points them to God. We're gonna get to that in just a minute. He proclaimed who could help them. Joseph ministers to others in his darkest time. And I think, as, as I think about myself, I don't find it very easy to think about helping people when I also need help. When I'm overwhelmed, when I'm busy or stressed, when I'm grieving, when I'm hurting, oftentimes the very last thing I'm thinking is, oh man, how can I go help someone right now? How can I minister to someone? It feels overwhelming when we're, when we're sort of stuck in the darkness. And, and, and I think that um, there's something here that says that it's worth, us, um, it's worth us showing compassion to others even in the midst of our own pain and suffering. Something to think about. Joseph turned around and he showed kindness to others in response to God's kindness to him. So in God's sovereignty, he knows that he, we can, or we know that we can trust him to be kind to us. We can also trust that God knows the future. Uh, verse eight says, we had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, dream interpretation is, um, it's kind of a big deal in the ancient Near East. Uh, it's, it's not um, just sort of like some guy just making things up. It's, it's, all, it's an industry. There are careers of dream interpretation that are going on. We have evidence of the Egyptian and Babylonian cultures keeping what they call dream books where they would catalog people's dreams. So if you had a crazy dream and, then, and it meant something, you would go to the, these people and they would, they would write down your dream, what was in it, and then they would write down what happened and they thought they, they could build this giant database that would say, okay, if this thing is in your dream, then the odds are this thing is going to happen in your life. And so, so when these officers are having these dreams and there's no one to interpret them, they're like, oh man, what are we gonna do? And uh, dreams, were, dreams were thought to be the way that the spiritual realm communicated with people. And so whatever God you worshiped in that time, whatever pagan um, religion you were a part of, it was thought that like, you, this is how the spiritual being was gonna communicate with humans about what might happen. And so these guys are like, okay, these dreams are, are weird. It's probably not just like I had some bad food and I had like a weird thing, you know? Um, there's something going on, something to this and we wanna know what happens. And so um, they're like, well, we had these dreams, they said to Joseph, but there's no one to interpret them. And, and Joseph, as, as we said before, he, he points them to who can. Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Again, Joseph is redirecting them to who can help them. Verse 14, but when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. But when all goes well for you. So this is where we see this, the, the sovereignty of God in his foreknowledge. He knows what the dreams mean and he knows that they're going to come true. And, and Joseph trusts this. Joseph, ha Joseph is like, hey, when 
These things happen, not if, not, hey, yeah, so I don't know, do with this what you will. Like, this is kind of what I think might happen. Joseph is like, when? When these things happen, he trusts that God knows what's going to happen um, to, to, to these men in the future. Joseph assumes that God's interpretations will come true, and he asks the cupbearer to remember, and then he asks the cupbearer to remember and correct the injustice. So does it happen? Well, verses 20 through 22, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants and he elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the cupbearer to his position as cupbearer and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them. The interpretations come true. It's proof that God knows what's going to happen. It's proof that God um, is, is speaking to Joseph with this interpretation. He knows what's coming and he knows where, Joseph, where he needs Joseph to be and he knows what Joseph will need to, to be equipped to do. Um, so I think that, that um, in addition to God knowing like what's gonna happen to the officers, we can also see that God knows what's in Joseph's future as well. And uh, Joseph is kind of here in this prison and clearly doesn't wanna be there. He's asking for help to right this injustice. But what we don't see in this passage, but if you zoom out and see kind of, there's some spoiler alerts here. So if you haven't read, um, you're gonna hear this next week we see that Joseph is here because it's part of God's plan. God knows where he needs Joseph to be to save his people. He knows that Joseph is a part of the story to save the Israelites from the famine in the future. He knows that he needs Joseph here right now for something that's going to come later. I think this is something that's hard to grapple with. It's a really complicated um, thing. You know, if God knows uh, what's gonna happen, then do we have free will and all these things? And um, I don't know about you guys, but I am a classic overanalyzer. I just overthink everything. It, I just agonize over decisions and sometimes even the smallest decisions. Like we need to buy a new kitchen, a small appliance. Like we need a new toaster. And some of you might be like, just head on down to Walmart or Target and pick up the cheapest toaster. No, 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 no. Um, if you haven't read reviews online from at least three different websites to find out what is the best toaster that gives you the perfect crispiness and the, the, and the most even brownness on your toast, then you have no business walking in the store to buy a toaster. You need to research. You need to know what the right decision is. And that's what I do for toasters. What about a new job? Oh, what should I, which, do I take this job or that job? Do I stay in the job I have? Do I, you know, and, and we think, what, what if you're in a place where you're looking for a church or the, any decision you have in life? And, and, and I would even, um, I had, uh, this was just a few months ago. Um, 
I had a few things come up in, in, in my life and they were all good. I had all these good options in front of me in terms of like work related. There was some opportunity at work for like um, taking on some additional responsibilities and, and there was some opportunity with, um, with some schooling options and I was, and it's all good. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I took Zach out and I'm like, you gotta tell me what to do. What do I do? And he's like, I don't know. Like, do you feel like you're following the Lord and faithfully serving him in your life? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, then it probably doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, just kind of do whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Okay, I can do this. And I, I have all this hesitancy, hesitancy to make decisions um, about what is right. But the reality is that if we're faithfully serving the Lord and using our gifts the way that Joseph was, using his talents, using his character and his work ethic, God knows where he needs us to be, to be a part of his plan, and he's gonna make sure that you get there. Joseph never would have chosen to be in prison, but God knew he needed him to be in Egypt in the future, and so he, he was gonna make sure that Joseph had, was where he needed to be at the right time. He'll get us to where, we, where he needs us. So we can trust that God will be kind to us. We can trust that God knows the future. And finally, we can trust that God will remember us. We can trust that God will remember us. Which sounds weird when you read the verse 23 that says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The end right? It's kind of like this weird cliffhanger, like everything's like good. And then it's like, and, and the cupbearer forgot him. Next chapter. When, uh, when I was a kid, we, um, we had TV at home, but we didn't have like cable. Mostly what we had for TV was like, we would, um, my parents would go to a friend's house during the week and drop off a VHS tape to them and they would record television shows. And then each week at, at small group, they would swap out the, the, the VHS tapes. And that's what we had to watch for like the whole week. And they lived, uh, we lived in Arlington, Washington, which is uh, way north of Seattle. And so all, all these people had was Canadian public television. And so um, I had no idea what was going on in like the TV world, you know? So we would, so we would go to Costco and uh, you, you walk in Costco and they still do this. All of the TVs are right up front, right? The, the, the big screen TVs, they're right there. And I, I don't know if they do this anymore, but when I was a kid, there was always a Disney movie on. There was always the latest animated film from Disney. And so we would, I would hear kids talking about it at school, like, oh yeah, The Lion King or whatever. And I'm like, what is that? That sounds awesome, you know? And so we would go to Costco and I would just be like standing there like, just watching the TV and my parents would leave me. They were just like, hey, he's good, like he's occupied and they would just leave and they would go on with their shopping and, and then the movie would end like an hour later and I'm kind of looking around and this panic sets in and completely overwhelms me thinking they forgot me, like my, my family left me here and they just totally took off. And 
just the, the fear and like the, the sort of like the angst of like the panic that would set in as I'm going like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I, I gotta find a way to find, to find my family. And, and, and then they, they never left me. They, they were always still in the store somewhere. Um, usually they were wrapping up and we were gonna go get a hot dog or something. But in that moment, this anxiety of feeling like I had been forgotten felt overwhelming. So Joseph requests that the cupbearer, he has one request. Hey, if this comes true, which it will, will you just remember me? Just remember me. And he did not. He forgot him. So Joseph stays in prison. And people will let us down, won't they? People will forget us. Yet the earlier mention of God's favor and kindness hints that something good is looming on the horizon. So we know that there's something for Joseph. People will let us down, but God won't. The cupbearer forgot, but God remembered. The sovereignty of God does not depend on men following through. God will remember us. We see evidence of God remembering his people elsewhere in scripture. Genesis 8.1, after the flood subsides, God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Genesis 19.29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval. Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and he opened her womb. Spoiler alert for next week, God will remember Joseph as well. He's going to remember him. Now I think that when, when we talk about God remembering us, it kind of has to mean something different. So the word remember is the word that's in the text. And it means what we think remember means, to recall something that's been forgotten. Oh, I remember, right? But if God is omniscient and has foreknowledge of the future, he doesn't really forget things. And so remember doesn't really necessarily, I don't think mean the same thing um, for in, in terms of what God means here when he's saying, I remember something. I, I, I was trying to think of how to, how to communicate this and, and you'll have to bear with me. And the analogy breaks down really quickly, but, st but stay with me here. Um, so you, someone says, hey, we should get together sometime. Do you want to come over for dinner? And you say, yeah, that sounds great. You set a date and a time, and then you put it in your calendar. Because if you don't, and you're me, you will forget immediately. And you won't tell your wife either. And so then the day will come and you'll be like, oh, by the way, we're going to someone's house for dinner. And she'll go, what? Sorry, I forgot. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't set a reminder. And so I, I think of it as like, God isn't necessarily like forgetting and then recalling, but he, he knows what he needs to do in his time and place at the appointed time. He's going to remember you. He's going to remember. And uh, when you look at each of these passages, Oftentimes, God is remembering people at the perfect time in the perfect place where they need it the most. God remembered Noah after the flood subsides. 
thank goodness. Noah's probably going like, oh man, like what if God forgets and the flood just stays and now I'm stuck in this boat? Right, but God remembers. God destroys the cities of the plain and he remembers Abraham and he remembers Lot. Would have been bad if he forgot to save Lot. But he doesn't, he remembers. God remembers Rachel in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her hurt, her grief, her sorrow, he remembers her. He listens to her and he opens her womb. Because ultimately God keeps his covenants and his promises to his people. He remembers us. So as I think about maybe some of the, the pain or the hurt that we're experiencing, it's easy to get lost in that. It's easy to, to just sort of sink into this um, grief and sorrow and wonder when will it end? When will it stop? We don't really know, but what I do know is that for God's people, he's going to remember you. And he's gonna go show kindness to you and he knows what you need in the future. He's gonna make sure that you get that. These truths about trusting God are for his people. In the Old Testament, that's the Hebrews. In the New Covenant, that's Christians. If you're a Christian, these truths are for you. So hopefully you can find some, some peace in that, knowing that. We don't know God's plan. It's kind of a, I think, I think this, come, this term comes from the military, like if you're on a need to know basis and you don't need to know. And that's kind of how it feels sometimes. We don't know God's plan. We don't know how he's gonna meet us we don't know how he's gonna use our obedience and faithfulness. We don't always understand why things are happening. But in his sovereignty, we can trust him anyways. We're gonna take communion. Um, we do every week. We take the Lord's Supper together. We don't always see how God is, is moving in the moment. Um, there's been many times in my life where I've wondered where the Lord was. There's been many times. I think the disciples maybe, maybe felt the same way when they were sitting down for the, the, the Last Supper with Jesus, um, not really understanding the greatness of the scale of what was going on around them as Jesus died and, and was resurrected and ascended. But with the benefit of time and wisdom and experience, when you can sort of zoom out and see the way that God was working in your life all throughout. I know when I look back on my life, sometimes I kind of wonder like, man, how did I even get here? You know, through all the, the, the dumb decisions I made or, or all of the things I've experienced. And, I, and in the moment I didn't know, but then I look back and I see 
that God was with me at each step of the way. He was with me and he was, he was remembering me and showing kindness to me. So hopefully that's a comfort to you today. It may be difficult to see now, but God will show you his kindness and he knows the future and he'll remember you. So when we take communion together today, um, let's remember him with gratitude um, for what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he made it so that we can be a part of the new covenant, that we can, that we can trust God in his sovereignty. Maybe there's something going on where, where you just need to ask God to remember you today. You can take this time during communion to do that, to, to be with him. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.